Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero. Thanks for listening to The Tour Coach. These are the players, coaches, experts, stories, and insights from my work on the PGA Tour at my retreats or my downtown teaching center in Mobile, Alabama. My goal is to shed light and share insights from the people who I've gotten to know and meet working on the PGA Tour and teach it through my career. And I hope this helps all of us play, coach, and teach better golf. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and take a look at our new Dew Sweepers YouTube channel or the Dew Sweeper on Instagram, where I've taken some time to share videos of help from my teachings, travels, and journeys. Well, here we are, taping a tour coach from another weekend week down here between the holidays, down at the Rick Smith Performance Center and Trump Doral. My buddy Wayne of the Drano, Wayne Flint, hanging in here with me this week. We've had a good one. And uh, new to the podcast and a great bloke. I'm going to use I'm going to use an English term because I'm with a person from England which stepping outside my box here. Uh Derwin Honan, Dragonfly. And uh man, it's I'm always trying to learn the stuff that we've done with you with your 3D suits this week. We're going to talk a little about it, but there's no way to say it other than it's been some really cool stuff, right? And we've it's been awesome watching for me it's been awesome watching its application to I've had some folks that are not as far advanced and then I've had some tour level high level college SEC player guys and watch how that's adaptable and I've always been a player I told you this on the front end or a coach on the front end Wayne knows this that like I've shied away from it a little bit from the fact that I had players go to people that have gears and different things and everything is like well the tour average is this and all of my database is this well like i hate that stuff right because i don't want anybody to be average and two i want to know what the player themselves can and can't do and i thought the stuff we did with it was phenomenal well, i find it interesting about your comment there about comparing guys to tour players or tour averages or what i hate that and that's my pet peeve because i i stand there you've probably put a dozen or so guys through that system, through the Dragonfly system, this week. We've not compared one of them with any of our data of from yeah. tour players. We've actually made comparisons, as in before and afters, as in there was your fault, here's the remedy, now look at the fix, look at the avatar, look at, look at the numbers, look how much of an improvement you've made. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't believe showing a good player Rory McIlroy makes any sense whatsoever because my argument with sure all as hell of doesn't this, make sense showing it to a bad player. <laughs> you've got no hope, is there? I mean, right. imagine showing Rory McIlroy's movement to an 18 handicapper. Mm-hmm. What you want? You're just going to highlight just how bad they are, or yeah. that how they haven't got any ability. But we don't know sometimes what those guys were actually trying to do with those shots mm-hmm. because I've been lucky enough to be in in a mat system situation where the tour players are going through the system where they have to go through it. And I know some of them were trying to hit big hooks and some were hitting cuts. And we're taking it for granted that they were hitting straight shots. So, because there's no information on any of that data that actually says I was trying to hit a fake. So, what we've created with Dragonfly, because it's an outdoor system, not a camera based system, you can use it on the golf course, you can remote coach. I've remote coached from all over the world, sat during COVID back in my house in London. So, you know, from Saudi to New Zealand to, to even to here at Doral with, with Rick Smith and, and with Gail Lesney. So I just sit there and I think, 
like, unless you know exactly what they were trying to do, why are you making a comparison? You know, in the old days, we would have all looked at photos of swing sequences and impact, but no one ever gave a message saying he was trying to hook it, he was trying to draw it. I've seen photos with McElroy where his hands are crisscrossed over and people go, oh, he, he doesn't use his hands at all during a swing. Well, there's a photo where he is. So what was he trying to do? Well, we don't know. So what is it? How are you, how you going to tell someone that? So I find it, I just find sometimes there's so much stuff written about golf swings, which, is it really all real? Yeah. Is it just filling up? So I used to be coached by a guy who was a Ryder Cup player. Now you've, for, just so people know, you've played in three British Opens, Open yeah. Championships, we call them British Opens. Yeah, yeah. And uh, pretty damn I, I, impressive. I've been lucky enough to play with some big players too. You know, I used to play practice rounds with Servi and played with Faldo. I've played with Gene Saracen, I've played with Palmer, I've played with Nicholas, played with Gary Player. The, the, you know, I've played with some real... F- A couple of those are good. Yeah. Half decent, some of them, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, you know, I've just been lucky from that point of view. But what I've learned from watching them and asking them questions is that they're actually playing the game the same way as we all do. They might be playing on a different level, but they're not thinking overcomplicated nonsense. And I know we'll get on to talking about something else later on, but... Maybe not. Well, I'm I, on my first glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Had a bad margarita. <laughs> with, a, with a paper straw. That wasn't good. No, I'm out on the paper straws. So let's talk a little. Wayno, you got to see little bits of it today. But going again, I, I, I thought the fascinating part was the way you could use it for not or not as advanced players and advanced players. I loved the fact that everything wasn't a, this is what all the tour players do, right? Because I, I am, and everybody that listens knows Colby Touye. You saw him down here with us a few yeah. weeks ago, right? He trains some of the best players on tour. And Colby and I have had that conversation like, First of all, you you don't know what every player's body can do. So if you try to make a guy do something that his body physically can't do, not only could you make his golf swing worse, but you could make you could make him hurt himself. Yeah, his right? health could deteriorate. And, and so that's why I think that that's what I thought was cool about the way you presented it. And you, I like the way you were able to compare before and after. And I told you that one of the reasons that I wanted to use it and kind of dip my toe in the 3D water this week was the ability to take guys, one that like Rick Lamb was one that we did some fabulous stuff with, to when he's hitting it good, find out what he's doing well, but maybe improve it. And I think, and then also be able to measure and track performance instead of always pigeonholing and this is what good players do, but let's measure what a guy's doing, use our collective intelligence of what we know good players need to do. And then measure and be able to track their progress. I think that's way better approach for me to the use of 3D than just trying to get people to do what they think tour players do. To me, do we play golf by numbers? To me, the only numbers that we play golf to are yardages. Mm-hmm. I don't think we work on... Because up until recently, you know, 3D's been around for probably 25 years. Right. The fact that it's, it's still... Like, Tell a little about your background too, after because like people need to know like, you've done tons of three D stuff. This isn't like yeah, I you was, came I, up with the suit. I was we involved with uh, with the mat system in the early days, and then that moved into a motion golf company in Atlanta. That then became Gears, 
I got approached by Dragonfly to get involved with them during the time that I was back in the UK because I've been living over in America. And yeah, I've got a, a vast knowledge of 3D, but the thing that really blew my brains away when I saw Dragonfly was the fact that it's not camera-based, it's not indoor-based. Go out on a driving range, remote coach it, but the big one is where that round of golf course. You know, 18 holes of golf in a Dragonfly suit we'll actually have what I call a true database. We'll have a true baseline and we'll have a blueprint of what actually goes on on the golf course. And I've had too many players go through that system that there is a marked difference between driving range golf swings and real golf swings on a golf course because we get spooked by all sorts of different things. You know, we've got examples of guys who've won majors who can't align on a tee shot because mm -hmm. it doesn't suit their eye. One of the guys at Rick Smith's didn't believe that it would work on a golf course. When we, when we showed him his baseline for the hole he hates, he has the ability to shoot 17 pars. There's one hole on the Blue Monster, he, he takes six at virtually every time he plays it. When we stand there and actually I'm back in London, he was here, I was doing it remotely, and his alignment was all over the place. Not only that, he has an enormous, great big side bend as he comes in down into impact because he's literally, he doesn't know whether he's releasing it or whether he's steering it. He doesn't, he has no commitment. And when we looked at the kinematic sequences, his arms were going slow, his torso, his peak speeds were all slow. When you looked at the next hole or the hole previous, it was a whole different set of numbers. So there's something about that hole he doesn't like. And, and that... I'd play a different golf course. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd go and play Palm or something like that, rather right? than just have 17 pars and throw a six at it. But, you know, it's just examples of where 3D... But I think most golf pros are scared of 3D because... Why do you think that? Because I actually think some golf pros actually possibly could show themselves out. I think people sometimes are afraid of 3D to take players to it because it may not be what they've been telling the yeah. player. I think sometimes it highlights. I mean, we've done it, we've done it with leading golf coaches where up until, you know, I sound like I'm, you know, Billy Big Bollocks here, but I know everything about 3D. But up until now, if you're not using a 3D system, you're guessing the amount of shoulder turn at the top of the backswing. You're guessing the amount of hip turn at impact. You're just guessing it. And I've done it with some lead top five teaching pros mm -hmm. where they literally are guessing it. We know they're guessing it. So giving that we get in the neighborhood. You get close, but if I told you that what we found out so far with shoulder turns at the top, they're about 20 degrees out. Really? So if someone's making, you know, a 100 degree shoulder turn on the system and someone's guessing that that is either 120 or 80 or 80, that's a big wide gap. And that's not highlighting that they don't know what they're talking about, but it just highlights that we don't quite know, even with the amount of experience we've got sitting around this table now, that we kind of roughly think we know, but I've done it as a test and I did it with Rick Smith. And he was in the suit himself hitting balls. He was convinced he was a 98 degree, nearly a hundred degree shoulder turn. He was really doing well if he was getting 78 and he just couldn't get his head around it. But we eventually worked him up to 96, and he suddenly started hitting the ball better, and, you know, he spent four hours in the suit. He just loved it. You know, he was totally gone on it. But what, it, what I think it does, and if it's used correctly, 
it allows a good player to actually have a baseline, a blueprint of what, what is a good swing. What are good shots? My good shots, I've got this, this, and this. So when I go wrong, I've got something to go back to. I've got somewhere to go back to. It's not just a feeling anymore. Because the feeling changes from year to year to, to year. See, and I, I told you this story, and Wayne, you'll, I think you'll understand it because you've been around me so long. I, one of the things that I wish is I coached Smiley Kaufman, and I mean, there's no harm in he was had a great run there for a year and a half, two years, right? Played some fantastic golf, and since he's searched a little, hadn't played well, and I've been fired plenty of times by plenty of people this year, so it's not news. But one of the things I wish I had back then was the ability to have this data to know exactly what he did when he played his best golf, right? Because then when the player, because I think when the player loses it and they start searching, I mean, I think they go back to what they think they felt, and then it might be two years removed, and I don't know that you really know what you felt. And it's hard for us as teachers to argue I mean, I know that's what you felt, but that's not what was really going on. Yeah. But if we have concrete info, and I, Wayne, you've taught you've taught more great players over your years than me, your career. Like, I think if we have, I think that one of the most valuable tools of this information is the ability, not just to help people get better, but to take players when they're playing their best and capture it, and really for us to understand what they do. And I've I've said. I mean, I keep mentioning him on these damn things, but like my old mentor, Hank, used to say that the difference between good players and guys that are great players and guys that weren't great is that good players understood what they had to do to hit their good shot, and they kept trying to do it. Other players that weren't as great would hit a bad shot, try to figure out how the, what they were doing wrong on the bad shot, and the great players didn't really care what happened on the bad shot. They kept trying to hit. Yeah. They knew understood what, what they, they needed to do. do to hit the good and one. I think our job and you teach as well, and you've bailed me out some this week and you've bailed other people out, is, like, I think our job is to help players as they get good understand what it is they need to do, they themselves need to do to hit their good shot, whatever it is. And everybody's different. Yeah, and well, I think that's the real – I'm convinced. I think that my my benefit in getting these suits is, is not – I'm going to learn, but it's to help – somebody playing good understand and us to really figure out what the hell they're doing when they're doing it good yeah you heard me today with one of your players say that let's not we're not standing here saying that alignment needs to be zero zero we're not saying that what we're trying to find out is that maybe two degrees open with your shoulders and three degrees open with your hips maybe that's when you're operating at your best that makes all the different sort of, I, I call them knock-ons all the different little quirky things that go on in within golf swings and let's face it you got three golf pros sat around a table. Golf swings are fingerprints. We've got three different sets of fingerprints here. Mm-hmm. And a golf swing is a fingerprint. It's your golf swing. It might be rubbish for me, but my golf swing's great for me. It might be rubbish for you. But I'm not trying to teach you how I do it. And what we do with that system isn't, we don't profess to say you must be this number, this number, that number. We will give you a wide window to say that, listen, the, the best players in the world are turning somewhere between 95 to 105. So if you're turning at 92, and that's not saying that you're not a great player, but this is what we see. So do you want to work on more of that, or are you operating at your best at 92 degrees shoulder turn, for argument's sake? And, you know, we teach... We've got high handicappers in that suit. We've got tour players in that suit. And they look at it in a different way. It's like I explained to you the other day. 
the tour players and some of your players this week, we've used that as a maintaining system. We want to maintain this amount of turn, this amount of side bend, this amount of hip turn through the ball. We're not using it as a changing system, which you can do with a 24 handicapper. And there's a massive visual side of that with the avatar. And it depends, again, how you want to teach it. We're all old school, so we stand here and we definitely go ball flight. We listen to the sound of it, what kind of strike it was. Once we get ball flight, we're already starting to pigeonhole what their path is. We were doing that automatically, that's instant. And we just know where they're going with that golf swing. The path must be doing this and the face must be doing that to create that shape. Great. But how much is it doing that? Mm-hmm. How much is it this way? How much is it that way? So when he's operating at his best, it could easily be that he, he needs to be slightly, you know, you've got Langer is a bit shut at impact. You've got Colin Montgomery's wide open at impact. So which one's right and which one's wrong? Because once again, they've got a more dollars. Not the, say what all the tour players do. They've got more dollars in the bank than we have, and they they're great players. So it's right for them. It's not right for the next guy. So you've you've put a bunch of people on this, and Wayne chime in with questions too. What are some things that you've seen trends from some of the stuff being taught now? Not saying it's right or wrong. Where you're seeing stuff, in particular, side bend was the one I thought today. Like you see people, what are you seeing? Some things where like you're like, man, I'm seeing some of this stuff develop. Yeah, you're gonna get me on my soapbox now. I want to. That's what the hell we're trying to do. So this this <laughs> this side bend scenario, I have never seen side bend numbers within the last probably ten years, maybe fifteen years where the side bend numbers at impact are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So when I say bigger, there's, I, I want to call it hang back. Some people want to say sitting on your right-hand side, hitting it from the inside, sitting on the right. Why would you want to sit on your right side? If you're- well, I got a th- I, I, I'm watching it through numbers, and I'm watching shoulders that are turning relatively flat, shall we say. There's not that much tilt in the shoulder line, but I'm watching hips that are tilting left hip very high, which then puts this spine angle backwards into this side bend position. But me, I think it's to, a lot of it's to do with equipment and a lot of misinformation. We've, I listened to, I've listened, being at Rick Smith for a month, I've listened to, I was at Pinehurst for the teachers top 100 conference thing. And I was listening to people talk. You want to talk about that chipping thing we... No, no, that, that just really starts. I'm not pissed enough to do that yet. Um, but I think some of that is down to equipment that they're using clubs that have got no loft on. You know, let's face it, we all know that... The I've six always iron, said most of the people who come to us don't have enough loft in their driver and too stiff of shafts. Yep. But the lofts on these new irons are... They're not real, are they? Yeah. I mean, let's face it... Not the shit we grew your six up iron, Your six iron is my old four iron. So I think there's a lot of lean back because they can't get these things airborne. They haven't, got they, enough, play hybrids. <laughs> they haven't got enough club head speed to get the ball to launch properly. And every time I ask someone to hit a low cut punch shot, I watch them and it looks like they're, well... Don't they, have any idea how to do it. No. Yeah. And it's, some of that is because they just can't compress it on a shallow path because the side bend kicks in and they start thinning it. And I, I, I don't get it. But I'm convinced that's to do with, like you touched on, they're using shafts that are too stiff. I've, I've taught people recently who have got sort of club head speeds that do not match to an x shaft what's that about why have you got an x 
oh, the guy was, when I got fitted, my launch angle was perfect with an X and it wasn't with an S. And you're like, right, okay, great, wonderful. But you can't generate enough speed out of that shaft. It's like you're using a telegraph pole. What you, that's just ridiculous. Baseball bat. I mean, what's that about? My second ex-wife looked good in the box. <laughs> you think I should have married her? <laughs> right. But I'm convinced some of it is to do with the lofts on these irons because these things are so juiced up that they're, they're all trying to help it up in the air. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. All right, so this is the real part. All right, so you've played with some of the greats. Yeah. Especially European tour, right? And I had a ball listen to the Seve stuff the other day. Rick Lamb and I talked about it when we went and had dinner. Like, man, that was some cool stuff. What do you think you could have learned from putting guys like Seve or Faldo or whatever on, on this 3D? And do you think it would have helped them? Would it have helped Seve? Because you, you knew him pretty well. I don't so. think it would have necessarily. I think Seve would have found it interesting. I don't think Seve would have paid that much attention to some of it because he manufactured so many different shots. He wasn't hitting one single shot, really the same okay. as a, a stock shot. He, could, he was maneuvering the ball and manipulating the face and, and everything else. If you possibly said to, to Faldo, Faldo's been on the system. Faldo enjoyed being on the system. He's very you know, data-driven. He was, he was into yeah. numbers and he's into, into that. So he loved it because he, he and his, his reaction was, he, I wish I had this when I was still playing at the top of my game because he would have used it as a blueprint. He would have created a blueprint. Why do you think he didn't play later than he did and keep playing like masters and stuff? I've always wondered that a little bit. Cause, you know, he, I know you got doing the TV thing, but like. I think, I, I, I think he kind of just, I don't want to say fell out in love with it, but I don't think he, 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 he kind of maybe possibly completed what he tried to do and he'd got there, done it. Why do I want to prove myself yeah. again when I'm possibly not going to be performing as good as I was? Makes sense. You know, you, you sometimes watch some some guys out there playing and you kind of think, oh, I don't like watching you do that because you were b much better than that. I remember you being a great player. Like, you, that didn't look so good. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's, a, there's an element of that. Interesting. Players you wish you would have been able to put on them. I'd love to have seen Hogan in the suit. That would have been just, like, mind-blowing. Yeah. I'd donate my... Well, I'd donate both testicles for that experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could have a kidney as well if you want. I don't mind. Maybe a lung. Have a lung. I don't know. But yeah, yeah if you'd said to me, Hogan, you'd, I'd love to see Nicholas in it. Hogan in it. What do you think Nicholas's would have looked like? I think Nicholas's would have looked like a phenomenal, in that era, the amount of shoulder turn he was probably making. Yeah. Because I think he kind of, he definitely seemed to be making more turn than most mm -hmm. in, when you look at old videos and stuff. I'd love to have seen Trevino, because mm -hmm. I don't believe Trevino really was out to him. I think he was definitely shallow through the ball. I think he was definitely, and I'm going to say on a quite flat turn through the ball. I don't think there was many side bends in, in Trevino. I'd love to have seen that, because I think his numbers would have been up with some of the modern day players, the amount of rotation they have through impact. So I think Trevino would have been quite an interesting comparison. I think if you went further back than that, yeah, I mean, you'd probably stand here and say, obviously, throw Bobby Jones into the equation. Yeah. Henry Cotton. Just got to keep the Britain. Sam Sneed. Sam Sneed, yeah. yeah. You've got to keep the flag flying. So let's say Cotton. But they would have been... You could... I mean, some of it, you just look at... You look at that old, those old films of Bobby Jones playing golf. I mean, 
you know, those teaching films that he created right. back in the 20s or 30s or whatever it was. But, I mean, you, you sit there and you think some of that, I mean, yeah, wow, that would have been interesting to track what he did, wouldn't it? It's always amazing to me when you look back at some of the old stuff. We all think we've come up with new stuff, right? Everybody thinks they've come up with new stuff. I'll go on Instagram and some yo-yo or whatever's got, you know. But if you go back to, you go back to Bobby Jones or you go back to Kevin Kirk and I were having this conversation here at the hotel not long ago, like you go back to the first golf books written and they talk about golf, the swing being a circular motion and it's a lope. I don't know that there's really anything new. I mean, there's people that like to talk about it being new. I think maybe our understanding of why some things happen and how it happens is different. But I, I don't know that, that the information. I think, and I also, and some people criticize me, but I, I think most of us that teach all have access to most of the same information now. Yeah, I think. For the most part. I don't think anybody has some secret nobody else has. <laughs> no, you're just regurgitating the same old stuff, but you're just doing it in your way, aren't you? You know, mm -hmm. you and I have interacted this week mm -hmm. with some of your players where I'm saying things which you've definitely been working on. Mm -hmm. I may have said it in a different way, but it's definitely on the same track. And that when we look at some of that stuff on, on a 3D system, it confirms that you're on the right lines with what you've been trying to do with some of those players. In fact, all of those players. And it's, you know, I used to listen to some of the old golf pros from the UK. I was lucky enough to work for Bernard Hunt. And, you know, on a Friday, you sometimes you'd be out there playing with Neil Coles or Alice. or And it, it was just making a four ball up with, with old Ryder Cup legends from before Europe. It was GB and Ireland. And you, you sit there and kind of... They used to say that you can change the back of the club, that the front's always going to be the same. <laughs> and you think about that. And, you know, maybe Ping have changed the grooves. Maybe. But in reality, nothing's changed on the front of a bat, has it? It's just the back keeps changing. I think the movement's changed. If you look at the rerouting and, and sort of shallowing of the shaft in the old days, that was they were using shafts that were rubbish compared to today's. Right, for sure. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think some of that technology is, yes, definitely driven it forwards, but some of that technology is also a bit of a hindrance to the normal club player. Because they, they, like you said just now, you know, ditched, the five iron, ditch the four iron and just get yourself some hybrids because they're just easier. They make the game Well, easier. and they have the loft that we grew up with with four or five irons, right? Yeah. Where you could launch it in the air. And if you, if you got a stiff shaft and you've got a five iron now, I mean, how the hell are you going to get in the air? Well, it's right? a three iron, isn't it? In reality, it's a three iron. And, you know, I, I get confused now because I get, I get equipment and I sit there and I kind of go, it's just quite hard. I, I've got to work this out because... My lofts were always this, my lies were always that. And you, you oh, right, okay. And you end up sort of, I feel like I just sit there and I get, I, I got a fitter or a trust, and you go, well, you tell me what I need, it's easier, because I'm, I'm lost on this loft and light chart, because my six iron, you know, I look down my four iron, and I kind of go, this looks like a two iron. I mean, but it's four iron length. What's that about? Uh, right, okay. You know, in fact, I've actually, get mine tweaked the other, the way. other way just because I, I just I think tiger still does too i'm old I think I think. Way just to... all right so as we kind of move towards closing this out although i've still got a little wine left <laughs> talk i want you to tell me a couple good sevy stories we can't get out of this without a couple good sevy stories people love them i think it's amazing i watched him at uh 
One of the only Champions Tour events he ever played was at the Brunos in Birmingham. And I was there that week. I was hanging out, watched Tom Kite that week. And uh, I remember Seve, it might have been his first or his second. It was one of them. And I remember everybody watching him around the green and around, you know, around the practice area. And it was interesting watching watching him. I've always thought anytime you see other tour players stop and watch another tour player do something, you know the guy's special at it. Whether it's I've, I've seen tour players stop and watch Tiger hit balls. I've seen tour players stop and watch DJ hit drivers. I saw tour players that were Hall of Famers stop and watch Seve chip and pitch the ball. So there's got to be some good stories in there. Some of the stories you can't repeat, but um, that's definitely need more wine than that. But I mean, the, 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 Wayne's got my room number. He can go buy his more. <laughs> I think the most famous Seve story is probably Swiss Open, where he's carved it right off 18th tee. He's literally tied for the lead. I think he was, or he, he was tied for the lead. I'm sure he was tied for the lead. He's carved it into the right-hand trees. It's, it's straight downhill, par four. Little pond on the right, the green. He is probably 60 yards offline, and he's gone in there and basically found a gap in a tree that is like a forest. It isn't just a, 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 a few tree-lined fairways. It was like a forest. Billy Foster was caddying for him. So Billy's gone in, got the bag by the ball, comes back out. Now, you've gone back out after finishing your round. Yeah, I've gone out to watch him finish. And Billy's gone out to get yardages to basically chip it sideways and work out a yardage from there. And he walks back in and starts talking to Seve about it. And Seve's like, oh, no, no, no. What's the yardage to the flag? And he's like, you know, Billy, Billy talks, does an after-dinner speech about this story. You know, he literally sits there and he says, oh, I know you think you're God, but you're not. What are <laughs> you trying to do? And what people don't forget is that Cran Montana is, you know, it's a summer resort. In the winter, it's a ski resort. And they have a swimming pool to the right-hand side of that fairway. And he's hitting it over a 20-foot wall from about 10 yards and he spotted a gap in a tree, which, having seen it, it's about the size of a dinner plate. And he stands there and hits an eight iron through the gap in the tree, over the wall, and it comes up just short. He bollocks Billy about giving him the wrong, wrong yard. <laughs> he then proceeds to walk up to it and chip it in to win the tournament. Makes three. But that shot was not real. That was, that's... Can't I, hit that shot. I don't know anybody who couldn't, who could have hit that shot other than one person. Because anybody in their normal, no, any normal golf pro would have been looking to go sideways and backwards and hopefully pitch it close and make four and hope, go to a playoff. No. He sees a hole in a tree over a 20-foot concrete fence and hits it through a dinner plate and then has... He has the, the, the cheek to turn around and bollock the caddy about giving him a wrong yardage. That's Seve in a nutshell. I mean, I was lucky enough to be attached to Fox Hills, and Seve used to play a lot of Fox Hills. One of the members sponsored him at Fox Hills. He used to spend a lot of time at Bernard Hunt. There's a great story about one of a, a young 16-year-old assistant pro working in the shop. Uh, Manuel Pinero was there, uh, ex, another Sp famous oh, Spanish yeah. Ryder Cup player. He literally encouraged the 16-year-old to go and have a putt with Seve's putter. And he does. And Seve comes down, having had a, a coffee with, with Bernard, and literally says, where's my putter? And there's a long drawn out conversation in Spanish that actually results in 
oh, the young kid is taking it around to have a putt on the putting green. And Seve's like, you can touch any of my clubs except two. One's the putt and one's the driver. He's gone ballistic. <laughs> We've all chased around behind him like little lambs following him, thinking, oh, don't have a go at the 16-year-old kid. He doesn't, he's been talked into it by Manuel Pinero. He, st- he then proceeds to say, ask the kid, what do you think of the putter? And the kid's just, like, lost. He's got Seve standing next to him. He's got Seve's putter in his hand. He's got Seve's golf balls. And he just goes on to say just how great this putter feels. It feels fantastic. But, you know, in his, in his heart, Seve was, like, fuming, but with Pinero. But he ended up giving the guy a putting lesson and so on. I mean, and that's what Seve was like. I mean, he was just... Unbelievable. I mean, he's a great bloke. I mean, he really was. I can't. There's loads of Seve stories. I've watched him. I've watched him trying to impress some people out of a bunker at Wentworth during the World Match Play, where he's basically ripped every single club out of this bunker, other than driver. He's gone from three wood to like sandwich, and he's got about 180 to the green, and he's just proceeded to show off to a group of people. How do he do it? He literally stood there and hit hooks. He hit cut-up shots out of a deep fairway bunker as if it was just what everybody should be able to do. And I've been lucky enough to stand on the edge of that putter, or the edge of that, that bunker and actually stand there and watch him do that. I mean, there's one shot that Seve... I think Nicholas actually called it as the best shot Radical, he's ever right? seen. Yeah. PJ National, 18th, bunker. out of the bunker. It's three-wood. How the hell you get bunker out? Well, I asked Seve about that because I played in a mini tour event there and I actually physically went into that trap to see what that trap was like. How do you hit an old Tony Penner three-wood, which was carrying about 13 degrees aloft, out of that bunker and come up just short of the green is beyond me. Nicholas reckons his best shot he's ever seen. Asked Seve about it. That was the shot. As if... <laughs> that was the shot. As if... We could. We all should be doing. Everyone it. should do it. Yeah, yeah. And you'd have conversations with him, playing practice rounds or knocking around Fox Hills with him, and it, he would just be like, "I don't understand why you didn't do that." And you go, "Well, because I can't. I'm not you." And he's like, "Oh, really?" And he he, he found that bewildering. I suppose is the right word that he, you couldn't do it. You couldn't teach somebody like him. I don't he. Think. A lot of people don't realise, but you know, his short game was definitely honed as a kid. But it was actually enhanced by Manuel Pinero. Really? Yeah, because Pinero was probably one of the best wedge players I've ever seen. I mean, without a shadow of doubt. I played in a, an event where he played a played a pitch from about three foot in front of me. I was about to play next, and I was gone like a kipper after watching him do this chip because I couldn't do what he did. And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, well, shit, I wish I hadn't seen that. <laughs> I mean, he's used an old Sandy Andy sandwich off a bone-hard lie on a downhill pitch over a mound and got this ball to suck and stop within about a foot. And I'm standing there just going, well, I I can't actually do do that. that. So I'm now using, like, a pitching wedge and I'm just trying to nip it over the mound and just let it grip and run down the green because I can't do that. What about uh, Jose, Maria? So... Again, Lazabel was probably very much taken under Seve's wing. Uh-huh. So he would spend hours around greens and chipping and different... Darren Clark's another one, you know, would spend hours in bunkers with, with Seve. 
and just learning the chip and part. And Tiger Woods has done it. I think Tiger Woods actually says in one interview, I think it's on YouTube, where he actually stepped into a bunker and asked Seve, how do you play that shot? And Seve was a little bit surprised he couldn't do it. But after about an hour, he kind of got an idea on it. But Elazabal was mustered from like 100 yards out, just perfect. You'd think he was going to hold certain shots because he was that good at it. But I think that some of those Spanish guys, because of because of the way they learn the golf as well, because you know, golf in Spain is still a rich person's game. So yeah, they learn it through caddying. And I think there's a, a little bit of golf has lost touch with the, the art of caddying and learning how to play golf and watch and learn and, and mimic and different things like that. I mean, I think when you caddy too, you see how you probably could have got something yeah. closer to the hole, right? You're like, well, why'd the guy do that, right? Yeah. And you learn watching. I remember, I remember a local PGA program down on the east coast of England, and I used to play in it with some guys. And I remember playing a practice round with Bernard Hunt because he used to play with three guys in it. It's like a pro-am series type thing. And there was a hole there at a massive big tier in the green. And I always did okay down there. And I, I found it really hard to pitch into this, this green. I'd always catch it right on the crown of that slope and suck it back to the front edge. And, you know, I'd watch Bernard Hunt in practice rounds and he would knock it quite close. And you're like, I don't get that. What's he doing? And I, eventually I asked him. And he was pitching it into the bank at the back of the green and screwing it back to the flag, whereas I was trying to land it into a narrow gap, like a little shelf. And I was just making it harder. And he, eventually he goes, well, didn't you see that? And you go, no. No, I didn't. And then from there on in, I played the whole great because I just I hit it five yards further. Because I was trying to hit it to a pin, to a yardage. He was hitting it five, ten yards past that and using the bank at the back of a green as a, as a backstop and using that to kick it back towards the flag. So to wrap it up, you mentioned, you know, you were making it harder. Oh, big time. And I think that's a trait of great players, though, is that they figure out how to make it easier. I remember one time, I, way back, I, I'd asked Justin Thomas a question. Anyways, he had texted me, and I was trying to help a kid. He's always, he's unbelievable person and he said I quit trying to make golf so hard right and I understood that like it's okay to hit it you know the, the stuff right but I, I think that I watched our kids when I, we went out mm-hmm. and I was watching some of these kids and they're hitting good shots cut one of them in particular is getting pissed off and not understanding like that that's an okay shot but I yeah. think that I think that that's one trait of great players you've seen a, you've mentioned a dozen of them tonight Wayne you've been around them around them is that the great players have a knack to figure out how to make it easier on themselves. And some of that's being more simple, but I think that's a good lesson. It's like try to figure out the easiest way to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some of them and they're not trying to hit it. They're not making it complicated. They're actually breaking it down into very simple forms. You know, just hit the fairway, just hit the green, just lag the putt up, knock it in. If I knock it close, I'll have a little go at the birdie putt, but they, they were playing not percentages, but they were making the. I think we've all been guilty, whether you're just playing on a local level or whether you're playing on a tour level, where you you are actually trying to you're trying to hit certain shots that not are above you, but your percentage might be 60% of the time you pull that off. Whereas just hitting into the middle of the green, you're probably at 95%. Mm-hmm. They put more stress on the bad players. Put more stress on themselves. Mm-hmm. 
throughout the round. Yeah. And and tour players are trying to alleviate that stress and make it a little easier because they know they'll be in stressful situations at some point. Yeah. They're just not trying to do it every single hole. Right? If you think about it, if you played some of the old-fashioned courses over here or the old courses in England, Britain, whatever, you hit the middle of the green on most greens and you've got a birdie pearl. Right. It's only when you play the big resort places like here at Doral, you, you do, there, there's, some of those might be two or three greens really wrapped up into one green. Right. So if, if you could actually circulate and, and get yourself down into, well, that back flag is, is the back green. Yes. Just, just hit it into the middle of that back green. You're never going to be that far away from the right, flag. Right. And if you're a half-decent putter and if you're playing at a good level, you, you, you've got to be a good putter or you, you wouldn't be there. And sometimes I think we overthink it. And I think there's, you know, I, I just listened to, we've talked about it this week, but, you know, you listen to it and it's like some people just totally make this game sound so much harder than I think it is or how I play it. And I, I sometimes doubt myself. I said, well, I'm, wow, I didn't see it like that, but... That's, You're not alone. Wow. Yep. Derwin, thanks first for an awesome two weeks, bringing Rick down, Thomas last week, putting him in it, the guys this week. It's been an awesome experience for me. Bob really loved what doing it. Guys I loved do. doing it. So. And uh, Wayne, as always, thanks for coming down. And, always fun. And uh, we're going to be doing more of this, bringing folks down to work with us and at, at Rick's place and and doing some stuff, more stuff with you, because I think it's, one, it's valuable, but two, it's also fun to work together. I think that's one of the things that I love most is I like melding people together and trying to figure out ways to help people get better. And you got a talent and you got great stories and information and we can all do some stuff together. Yeah, look, I've loved it. I've, I've enjoyed it no end. It's made my week and last week fly a bit more easy than normal because it's just been good fun and you two boys are a bit of characters, really. You've got... Good, good crack with you two. <laughs> I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to translate that. Other than, <laughs> anyways, Derwin, thanks so much for everything. We're going to do this again. We'll do it again, even with more wine. Wayno as always, and uh, we'll do this again no next worries. week. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors, Shrikshan, Buick, Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Dew Sweepers channel on YouTube as well as the Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to dewsweepersgolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.